once again may the Lord add a special blessing to the reading of this precious holy word. Well, once again, dear church family and brethren, this evening we continue in our new Bible study series on the evils of feminism. The evils of feminism. Last uh, week we thought about the beginnings of the history of feminism and the, in particular the first wave feminism. This evening we're looking at second wave feminism and really its destructive history upon marriage and the family, the traditional family in particular. Uh, I'm not going to have enough time to, to, I thought I would, but I won't have enough time to look at third wave feminism this evening. That's going to be uh, for next time. And then we're going to look at the particulars after that, systematically look at the particulars. So we're looking at second wave feminism this evening. As previously mentioned, second wave feminism took place uh, around about the 1920s right through to the 1960s and, and some time after that. The first wave's seeds, which we looked at last week, really propagated and pushed for women to be independent from a man. And like we uh, thought about, that biblically uh, a woman's heart should be to her husband and to her children. There is a godly unity, isn't there, uh, within the family unit. The desire uh, should be with, to her husband and to her, her children. But the first way really propagated and pushed, as it were, for this independence, for her to detach herself as a, from the, the family unit and to be indep uh, financially independent and independent in other ways from a man. That was their, their goal and really first wave feminism. Second wave fe feminism really pushed for women to act like men, for women to act like men. And so we see first wave feminism to uh, the, sows were, the, seed, the seeds were sown to be independent from man. Second way of feminism, really to act like man. So whatever a man can do, I can do. This, this kind of, this really kind of attitude. And so, really, uh, the second way of feminism was far more radical than the first way. Far more radical. This way was an all-out attack upon marriage, the marriage covenant, especially biblical marriage and the traditional nuclear family. It was an attack uh, with really the push for women's rights to initiate divorce, no-fault divorce, and of course a woman's right to have an abortion. And this was, of course, irrespective to that of a man. So, independently, irrespective of how a man felt about this, uh, for a woman to literally be able to kill uh, the most innocent of life, and of course the, uh, the push for equal wages as men. For me, really, the, the, the wise words of Solomon in uh, the Proverbs comes to mind, in Proverbs 14.1. Every wise woman buildeth her house, but the foolish pluck, plucketh it down with her hands. And that really 
when I think of feminism, that really sums it up for me, how they literally are breaking down everything which is actually going to be good for them, good for their spiritual well-being. And, uh, and of course, like I said before, the problem doesn't, doesn't lie really with women. It lies with men that we have been so uh, we have been so emasculated nowadays that that men are not leading, especially Christian men, and then especially in the West, we're not leading as we ought to lead, as the Bible instructs us, and to be responsible and serious. And so, homes are where souls are formed, aren't they? And according to the Bible. Homes are the places where they are to be nurtured and to be trained up in the Lord's fear. Sadly, there is a prevailing attitude amongst many leading pastors and theologians uh, in, in the West, uh, irrespective of denominations, uh, doesn't matter what denomination it, it is, who have almost all given in to feministic ideology. And it's, it's quite shocking, really. And most of these leading theologians and pastors are typically have very big congregations, and they are, their congregations are mostly within uh, big liberal cities, like London, or like California, or other big liberal cities. And, of course, they are the authority that, that people go to. They go, they, they listen to these people, and, and they're very good. I mean, I've got a lot of respect for, for some of these, especially in the Reform faith, for a lot of these leading theologians and academics. And they're, they're right on many things. But I'm afraid to say, I, I do believe on this particular subject, that the culture is so far down the road of, of the feminist ideology that they uh, completely, I, I believe, have compromised in, in this respect, um, I believe. And so, I've read a number of articles from leading pastors in the USA and the UK from a reformed perspective who use the industrial revolution and technological advancements as a, really an excuse to undermine God's authority in terms of biblical manhood and womanhood. Now, it is true, whilst the Industrial Revolution and technology have made things far easier in the domestic sphere with food processors and washing machines and everything else, it, this is true. It, it, things are a lot easier from that perspective. However, these aren't the main reasons and purposes why the Bible encourages uh, women to depend upon a man and to educate her children and to aspire to the home life. The main reasons the Bible gives are not, are not physical reasons, they're spiritual. They, 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 uh, they encourage uh, uh, roles for men and women that are best that best cultivate godliness within a man and within a woman and in their roles. What would be best for them? Indeed, the Apostle Paul in Titus 2, verses 3 through to 5, encourages the elder women to be holy, not false accusers, 
not given to much wine, and teachers of good things. What are those? What are those good things? What, what, which the apostle uh, is uh, under the inspiration of God here, and which, which elderly women should be encouraging younger women. Well, it says in verse five and six to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. And so, I know this is completely countercultural from what, what I'm saying here, but in essence, he is saying that the word of God here is opened to being blasphemed if these things are not really uh, taken to heart, really. And we think about the list of some of those things, to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children. This is what the, the elderly women are to encourage the young women to aspire to, to be, in essence, to be married, to, the, to, 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 to have a godly husband, uh, to the domestic life, to raise up, like it says in Malachi, godly seed. The Lord wants godly seed. He's never taken away his, the commission, the, the dominion man, mandate, for, to have children, that they are blessings, to multiply. He's never, ever repealed that. And he, doesn't, he wants fruit, our, our marriages to be fruitful. And so he encouraged the, the elderly women are to encourage the younger, to be discreet, to be chaste. Well, where, where do they best cultivate this godliness? Well, I would, I would advocate it's best cultivated in the home. To be discreet, to be chaste, to be keepers of the home. And that word keepers really means to guard, to protect, to be the guardian and protector of a, of a home. For your children, make it a foretaste of heaven. Spurgeon has often spoke about that, how, how scarcely can a, a godly woman leave the home uh, uh, for, for even for a Bible study or something like that. Scarcely can that, because she's got a great, her, her great missionary calling is really for the home to bring her children up in God's fear, to protect protect that from all the sinful influences of the world. Really, much of second wave feminism was tied up with the sexual revolution, that un very ungodly re revolution. As women were granted great independence from a, a man, financial independence, amongst other things, so also they wanted sexual freedom, sexual liberation, in other words, I want to be liberated from a, from, from a man, from the, not only from the marriage covenant, but also from, from one man. And uh, this really continued departure from the Word of God was a blatant attack on the institution of marriage and the traditional family unit. Nowhere in the whole of the Scriptures does the Bible endorse the separation of sexual intimacy with childbearing and the marriage covenant. Let me just say that again. Nowhere in the whole of the Bible does it endorse the separation of sexual intimacy with childbearing 
and the marriage covenant. For 1900 years, Christians believed in this, and they understood that when there was to, sexual intimacy was to happen, it was to be done in, in, in the confines of the marriage covenant, the biblical marriage covenant, and it was, it was to come with great responsibilities that such uh, who get married have a, uh, have a responsibility and that this sexual intimacy was not to be fruitless, as it were. The responsibility was that both parties knew that such intimacy would lead to fruit, as it were. And nowadays, with, uh, with things like contraception and many other things, so many Christians, even leading, have completely given a pass uh, for that. Really, and it really comes down to Christian comfort, really, and, and, and other things. But I, 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 I say again, nowhere in the Bible does it endorse the separation of sexual intimacy with childbearing and the marriage uh, covenant. 1900 years of church and family unity in this respect has been abruptly and was abruptly shattered during the second wave of feminists. This, this, these, these tidal waves, ungodly tidal waves that hit our families and our marriages and our churches and society at, at, at large. Feminists during this period not only pushed for financial, to be financially independent from a man, but also sexually independent from a man. Of course, which is void of any responsibility towards their maker. It was a complete abandonment of biblical authority. The invention, of course, of the pill, the contraceptive pill, besides other contraceptive measures during this period, gave rise to the dating culture. Of course, if you, know, if you study the dating culture in any detail, you will understand that it is a Western phenomenon, a typically American phenomenon. And it's a practice for divorce. And yet this is never... When have we heard a sermon? When have you last heard a sermon on dating and the evils of the dating culture? <laughs> There's not many people of us have heard it. But it is completely unbiblical, unchristian. Yet even within the Reformed faith, many young people are practicing uh, dating. And it's ungodly. Uh, it... it, it, it it, it, it leads, and I've, 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 I've looked at this and I've experienced this, it leads to, to broken hearts, leads to young people going back into the world, um, completely unbiblical. And this, this is what it led to, the, the pill, another concept of the dating culture, which opposes biblical betrothal and courtship, which of course our brother is going through which is the right way, the biblical way, the security there for both purposes. There is a spiritual aim for both parties. They're not just finding out the worst part of that person, as it were. The, the, the main aim, really, is, is this, does, does this person live for the Lord? Do they love the Lord? And yes, of course, physical attraction is important, but spiritual attraction must be the, the aim. Uh, as it were, to be equally yoked. And surely, outside of one's own personal salvation, that is the next big decision in life. And yet it's one of the least things which people are speaking about, which reformers are speaking about. 
in churches today. The second biggest decision which will, which will, will, uh, which will have an impact upon souls coming into this life, upon ministry and everything else, is so little spoken about. I wonder why. Well, I know why. I believe it's because we have really been feminized in our culture. And friends, we really need to get back to first principles in Scripture. Intimacy for 1900 years before the pill led to babies. But now babies and husbands have become burdens, not blessings. Uh, the pill really took away um, the deterrent for extramarital sex and produced shallow, fruitless, empty, casual sex, a course which has become the norm in our society. And, and that's what breaks many hearts. And please, uh, please um, don't get me wrong, I'm not trying to ladle anyone with guilt. Uh, I'm, re I'm, really, I'm really not, because before I was a Christian, I lived a shameful life. I, I really did. So I'm really not. I'm really not labeling, trying to label guilt with anyone. Anyone that's perhaps listening to this sermon, because there is forgiveness with the Lord that He may be feared. There is forgiveness and there's, there's healing. But but in the same in the same respect, we must. There must be a warning shot, as it were, across the bow. So we must stand for the Lord and get back to first principles, as it were. Let's stop taking. Man's word for it. Although some of these great pastors and theologians, they may be right on many good things, but they're not right on everything. We must get back to the scriptures and say, what, what does the scripture say? Thus saith the scriptures. This feministic, free sex attitude, of course, led to the evils of abortion and pornography. They, they went hand in hand. And really, when we think about that, it's, it's the altogether killing of the most innocent of life in, in, in the womb. And the demeaning of women everywhere, as it were. And what God has designed to be man's best friend outside of one's own personal salvation. And God's, uh, and man's great help, as it were. The better half. Man was incomplete. What God has designed for the man has now been downgraded to object, really because of the evils of feminism. There's, there's also other factors, but really feminism had a great part to play in this, really changing the role and the use of the woman who, who, who was to bless and be a helper for the man, and, and the man to love the woman, and, and the woman would respect him for that. This sadly, dear friends, that this sad reality of this feministic ideology, ideology, idolatry, sorry, ideology, that's the word I'm looking for, the sad reality of this feministic ideology taking hold upon our cultures is the fact that it is also taking hold upon our churches. It's taking hold. It's got a grip upon most churches, even in, in the reformed world. Rarely are any of these evils spoken about in most churches today because of the simple fact that pastors and elders and congregations by and large have become feministic in their outlook. We, we are so far down the road of feminism. It is so, so ingrained in every part of our life. 
we, when someone talks about these things, it, it immediately causes offence. Um, but we must get back to first principles. If we truly love the Lord. Some of Second uh, Wave's leading feminists were women like Betty Friedan, who wrote the book Feminist Mystique. I wouldn't recommend it to anyone here. Um, which basically, or effectively, called women to trade the home life for the work life. That was the, the aim of the book. And she founded uh, the women's rights, uh, rights movement called NAM. And it's the biggest women's activist movement now in the world. It's huge and it has massive influence. They wanted reproduction rights now. They wanted it right now. Uh, they wanted economic justice for women now. And then you can go on the website and we'll tell you what I'm saying now. They wanted racial justice now. LGBTQI justice, I think that's right, it might not be right, now. Constitutional equality. They wanted all these things now. Really from the year 1800 to 1965, women on average were having around six children per woman, on, on average. Uh, six women, six, uh, and I'm not just talking Christian, I'm talking everyone, from 1800 to 1965. During second wave feminism and the sexual revolution, this statistic, and you can get a graph up, you can Google it, uh, this statistic literally in a matter of years, literally just fell off a cliff. You can see it. Literally, just from five to six children, right down to about 2.1 in a matter of, literally in a matter of years, just literally plummeted. Now it's around about 1.5. I think it's one of the lowest ever. In order for any culture to survive, you need to think around about 2 to 2.3 to 2.5 for any culture to actually survive. And so this drop, and we know China's policy on, on this side of things, um, we know any culture that needs to survive needs a certain amount of people. And so policy, this changes policy in the country. We're an open door. Uh, no, no boundaries. We need to get the laborers of the world to come to the UK. And of course they bring the gods of the world with them. And that's why we live in such a pluralistic culture today, don't we? The average age now of marriage in the UK is 37 years old between a man and a woman. 37 years old. I just want us to think about that for a moment. You know, for some, for some, for some women, you know, depending on their, their lifestyle and, and, and other things, that is beyond the, the, the time of fertility. I mean, some, some are later, some are before. But 37 years old, preventing really souls, exchanging the temporary, really, for the temporary, for the eternal. Other leading proponents of second wave feminism were uh, women like Gloria Steinem, who said a woman needs a man like a fish needs a bicycle. Of course, who can forget, probably the most influ influential uh, woman of that day, a leader of, of second wave feminism, was a lady called Margaret Sanger who led the charge for contraceptives, among other evils. She founded Planned Parenthood, the world's largest abortion clinic. 
in the States in America, which literally kills millions of children, uh, innocent, the most innocent of life uh, in, in the womb every year. And Planned Parenthood, uh, it, it, it sounds like a good thing, doesn't it? But it's, it's deeply demonic. I, I not, not long ago watched how some of these people, some of actually these managers of these clinics, one of them came out of it, she testifies, I think she became a Christian, and she testifies that they would go into the schools, high schools and colleges, and they would encourage young girls to be sexually active because they had targets, a bit like McDonald's. Their targets really were to get young girls, and, and this was policy, really, right throughout this, this thing. Their, their policy was to get young teenage girls sexually active by a certain age. And, of course, give them free contraceptions because if, if they were to have a child, they knew the likelihood of that, that um, child was that they were being pushed to have careers and all these things. And the, the, the peer pressure would be, and of course with their parents and everything else, the peer pressure would be to abort that child. And most of them did do that. And so the statistics were you had young girls, two, three, four, abortions through high school. And this was pushed by, by this, by, by Planned Parenthood. The government of America supports uh, this organization finan financially. And of course this was because of Margaret Sanger, one of the second wave feminists leading feminists. And so once again, let me just say this, I just want to re reinforce this one point. That my, it is not my intentions to offend, it is not my intentions to label anyone with, with sins. There is forgiveness with the Lord God. If, if, if any of us uh, have been involved in any such things, if we do truly turn from our sin, our past sins, and, we, and our present sins, and we trust in the Lord and we cry to Him, he, His blood can cleanse any of us, even me. And so there is forgiveness with, with the Lord and there is there's healing. But we must walk in the ways of righteousness. What did the Lord say to the woman caught in adultery? He says, I don't, I'm not charging you, I'm not condemning you. But he said, sin no more. Go and sin no more. And that's where we, we are converted. We, we are to live a life uh, dedicated to him and to his laws and upholding life, not trying to prevent it or kill it. Margaret Sanger is really hell-bent on destroying marriage and the traditional family unit. She said, and I quote, the most merciful thing that a large family does to one of its infant members is to kill it. That's what she said. This is the founder of uh, Planned Parenthood. Christ said in John 10, 10, the thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Christ he is the one that gives us true eternal life, uh, isn't he? But the devil really wants to stop life, doesn't he? Stop life from coming into the world, prevent it from happening. And of course, more so that abundant life, that eternal life in him. Margaret Sanger's ideas and saints have very much now been ingrained in our culture's way of thinking. All the, this, this woman, what she stood for, when, I, 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 when you read her biography and the things she said, 
the, the culture, maybe even some of us here, are actually so, have so, her ideas and her views have so ingrained and, and saturated the Western person's mindset that we, can, we, can, we, we really don't actually understand how much it, we've, this has ingrained upon, upon how we think upon children. Oh, they're just a pest, little terrors. You know, that they're just, you know, and I hear it all the time how we, how we look at children, how we look at marriage, how we look at how we treat these wonderful things that God has given us. Take, for instance, the following, following saying she says, No woman can call herself free who does not own and control her own body. No woman can call herself free who does not control and own, own and control her own body. How is that? How that, that, that spirit is a prevailing spirit of our day, that sentiment, dear friends. I can do what I want with my body and express how I want to express myself. Even, dear friends, in the church of Jesus Christ, that, that we are seeing that. And this really flies in the face of God's word. It says in 1 Corinthians 7, 4, The wife had not power of her own body, but the husband, and likewise also the husband, had not power of his own body, but the wife. There is a mutual responsibility here. There is, when you come together, there is a, there's a, a giving up of selfishnesses and a coming together in the Lord, living for the Lord. My body doesn't belong to me anymore, it belongs to the Lord. And that person has just an amount of say on oh, what I do, and, then, and there's a mutual responsibility, a unity, as it were. It's not someone detaching and saying, I want to be financially independent, just in case things don't work out. Well, that's not faith, is it? And the same with the sexual independence. It's a, it's a detaching away from the marriage and the family, as it were. And it's an attack, an attack on biblical marriage covenants and the traditional nuclear family. Margaret Simon also said, we see that those parents who are least fit to reproduce the race are having the largest number of children. While people of wealth, leisure, and education are having small families. Did you get that? The smart ones, the clever ones, the educated ones, you see, the ones that have money and have leisure, those are the clever ones in our society because they're not having, they're preventing their children. You see, they're, they're putting first the temporary things, the carnal things. That's what they're prioritizing. And she was a devout eugenist, really, a believer in eugenics. Samuel went on to say, women must not accept, she must challenge, she must not be awed by that which she has been built up around her. She must reverence that woman in her which struggles for expression. You can see really how our culture has really come, dear friends. This sounds so familiar now, doesn't it? In our just day-to-day -day life. I must express myself. I must not be held back. I must not have any limits. And sad to say, even within the Church of Jesus Christ, there is this attitude now. Uh, Margaret Sanger said, against the state against the church, against the silence of the medical profession, against, that tells you a lot about 
the medical profession, against the whole machinery of dead institutions of the past, the women of today arises. The women of today, we're rising now. We don't need men anymore. Uh, we must be independent from men. Uh, the women of today arises like a uh, Babylon, as it were, like Jezebel. Sanger really blamed white men for women's limitation, limitations. She said, the big answer, as I see it, is the education of the white man. The white man is the problem. Of course, she, made, she really pushed for abortion in the most deprived areas, mostly black and ethnic. She really wanted to push in those. Uh, I'm not going to go into the details, um, but she really wanted to... Uh, she knew that education was the key, uh, and the, the, that hence Planned Parenthood, how, how involved they are in education, children's sexual education. She actually was thrown into jail because of education, um, amongst many other things. She had to flee the country, but she was so persistent. She came back again and again and again. The man must be re-educated. Uh, the man must be defeminized. This patriarchal system, this, uh, uh, this biblical headship, it must be gone away with, as it were. The, the American poet William uh, Ross Wallace once said, The hand that rocks the cradle is the hand that rules the world. That's very true, isn't it? Um, and we know that the Lord is sovereign, of course. But who our children are brought up with, as it were, who brings them up? Who nurtures them? Who cares for them? And it's a sad reality that now many Christians, they take no thought by putting their children into a pagan culture. And like I said, if I was, if I was to this evening announce, this evening I'm no longer going to be homeschooling my children, I'm going to uh, put them into a Muslim school, what would you say? So I'm leaving this church today. <laughs> Probably said that with you. But, <laughs> um, but, but why don't people say? Why don't people say? Well, the pay, why don't people? It's just become the norm, isn't it? Because we've been feminized. This pagan culture. And I would say it's even worse than that because it's so antagonistic uh, to uh, the gospel so full of radical feminists, uh, uh, both men and women, really, who, and I've heard, I've heard from teachers uh, with my own lips in the school system, has, and, and uh, I, I, I once spoke to one person who said, and she was from the Church of England, but she was no longer, her parents were Christian, and she said, the Bible is evil, she said, and she, she had all these people she hated the, the patriarchs, and she was an extreme feminist. And she was a teacher, taught that I think uh, kindergarten uh, and, 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 and young children. And friends, we're, we're, we're sending our children back into spiritual Egypt, back into darkness. Well, something's got to change, hasn't it, in the Church of Jesus Christ? We've, we've got to have a vision, friends, we, uh, brethren. We've got to have a vision for our families. And we've got to do things differently. No. And I know it's not, it's not easy. It's completely countercultural, what I'm, I'm saying. But we've got to encourage our young women and our young men 
for young men to be thinking responsibly and seriously. You know, when I speak to elderly people who are not even Christians, they tell me that back in their days, in the 50s, they, they used to save up as young men. Uh, their, their first inclination was to marry, uh, marry, marry a young woman. Uh, because they, they knew that if they did not marry someone, well, they led to so many temptations. The Bible says it's not good for a man to be alone, is it? I mean, that leads to all sorts of sin. And so too with women as well. It's not good for them to be alone. That's why the Lord has given us the, 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 one, the wonderful marriage covenant to express all these things and to procreate. We must teach our young men the value of a godly, virtuous woman. Not to seek in their career and, and for years to travel and do all these things. And this is, what, this is the, the methodology in even reform circles. I've heard it. And uh, it's so unbiblical. You know, if we think about, we think about uh, Isaac, and, uh, you know, the, the, what was the concern, you know, in terms of, of them? Well, the concern was, uh, the concern was to marry. What's not a, a career and all these things? Who is he going to marry? You know, that's, that's the important thing here. And we've just completely lost. You know, that the most important thing is our, uh, is our children to be converted, and the next biggest thing really is for them to marry in the Lord, really as Christians. That's, that's what we want, don't we? Um, and we've seen the exact opposite, and feminism really has done that. We must have a vision for these, for these things. Dear brethren, enough is enough. We must get back to first principles. Second ways feminism glamorized the corporate life for women, whilst at the same time they gave a picture of the home life, married life, and raising up children for God's glory as slavery. They did, they did. And take for instance Linda Gordon, another leading feminist, who said the nuclear family must be destroyed, whatever it's... Uh, Ultimate meaning: the breakup of families now is an objection of, of objectively. Sorry, let me say that again. The breakup of families is now an objectively revolutionary process. That's what they aim. They knew the families knew. I have to break up the family. I have to break up the marriage. I've got to break up this biblical system. You see, they they knew that they could not get their, their, this absolute independence. Sexual independence, financial independence from a man, unless they broke, broke the authority of the word of God. Sheila, Sheila Cronin, the leader of the feminist organization now, said, since marriage constitutes slavery for women, it is clear that women's, the women's movement must concentrate on attacking this institution. Freedom for women cannot be won without the abolition of marriage. That's what we're seeing, aren't we? The abolition of marriage. We're trying to redefine marriage now. And so this concludes our second overview study on the evils of feminism. There will be one last overview study on the third wave of feminism. And then we'll look, start looking systematically at the various areas of evils of the feminist movement. I'll finish with the words of Joshua 24, 15. 
And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will, you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites, in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Amen.